Good morning and welcome back to Coherence by J.R. Sedevi. Since doing the first podcast yesterday, it's interesting, I've had a, a number of synchronicities and just things flowing nicely, which is, uh, which is always a good thing and, and a confirmation. And as usual, I've been receiving guidance through dreams and, and signs and confirmations. And it's interesting. So I figured today would be a good time to, to talk about synchronicity and exactly what is synchronicity and the value of following synchronicity and um, going, the, going forward. And what I really like about, about doing this is, you know, when you're, when you're on the right path and you do something and you take action, that's an action outside of what you normally take. So, for example, for example recording this podcast was a, a big deal. It was my first podcast when you're on that path, you'll start seeing the confirmations and things will emerge within your consciousness and you'll start having an abundance of ideas and you'll get into a flow and everything will start going your way or will feel, feel that way, whatever that, whatever that means for you. And you're, it's like you're in this current you'll go through. And so for now, for me, what's been happening is I've been getting these ideas within me um, flowing through. And so I believe what I'll do is just as, you know, act on them as I have them come through and record these segments as I, as I do that. And so, the, um, so synchronicity is interesting in that if you look at the, um, the, the origins of that, it's um, Carl Jung coined it as an A-causal connecting principle. Now, what does that mean? It's basically two events. Now, if you think of a normal relationship of... Um, two events or multiple events, there's a relation between cause and effect in that I take some action and then something happens in response. And so you may think of that as karma also. You know, it's basically just what you put out there will, will cause some reaction or come back. Now, what we'll, what we'll talk about there is that the synchronicity is different in that there's no direct cause and effect. It's, it's two or more things emerge and there, it seems like there would be a cause and effect, but they're, they're not, they're not really, they're just, there's something meaningful to, to you that show up. And so, um, you know, one interesting thing could be when I worked in, um, you know, tech and doing things of that nature and worked with inventors, the, you'd have this thing where multiple inventors would come up with the same idea at the same time and, you know, and patent it. And one may patent it just before, or one may have patented it, but, but then the other may not have. They may have just had a notebook with the original ideas. But the interesting thing is the inventors were very ge- geographically distributed. They were nowhere near each other. They weren't in contact. This is before the time of the, you know, the ubiquitous internet and things of that nature. So people, these things would happen more and more, and it was really interesting. And you could try to come up with, you know, explanations for them, but it would happen so much, and it was apparent that the people didn't know each other that you would say, well, how could this happen? And so it, it's very much the same with synchronicity in that, but it's to you personally, and these synchronicities will show up as signs for you, and they'll have very personal meaning. And so it's often quite useless to describe a synchronicity to someone else 
as they're they may not see anything in it or not or they'll say it's coincidental and so on and so forth but the important thing is when you see or experience a synchronicity that it has a resonance for you that you it has a meaning and what will happen is for me the way it shows up is my energy will feel different like i'll feel kind of a sense of joy or a bit of excitement and i guess you can liken it to maybe like a, a dopamine hit where it just sort of like you know it's like oh that's it's a nice little kind of burst and then you start seeing it more and more. And it might be unusual things, too, that, that show up. And so, again, these are kind of like signs and just little confirmations that you're on, on the path. And, and where do these come from? Well, it depends. You know, it depends on your perspective. In that some people, the perspective is it, it comes from your guides and, you know, angelic beings or, or whoever, whoever in your tradition will be is leading you down your path. And then for others, if you view the universe as like a, a sentient being or a thinking substance, you know, we, we talked about Wallace Waddle's work yesterday. And, you know, he would call it the formless substance. Taoists call it the Tao. You know, there's, there's various things. But this idea that the whole universe is a thinking substance that basically conspires to, to aid you and perpetuate itself. And so the synchronicities can, can come from there. And if you view that from that standpoint, whether they're, they're supernatural beings or just an alive universe, nothing's outside that realm of possibility. So you could see signs and different things could start happening. And and what I found generally with the synchronicities is they, they'll start very light in the beginning, but what will happen is if you're not listening or you don't really notice them, they may start happening, you know, like louder to grab your attention or with greater intensity. And so what will happen is you'll, um, and again, you may not, see, you may see that if you're not paying attention or the other fact being that if you're actually, if you, if you are on is what I consider your, your correct path, um, not necessarily one path, but just your, your trend in that, that area and, you know, within that area that's putting you on your, your curriculum or the, the, the other thing being that you're, you're, something's happening that you need to pay attention to. Like somebody may be showing up in your life and, and, or some event may be happening. You may be invited somewhere and you'll see a synchronicity related to that. And it's something you wouldn't ordinarily consider. But then you decide, well, maybe I should look at this and, and do that. And so how do synchronicities show up? Well, they show up differently for everybody, but typically there are a few. And I can give you things from my own experience that hope, that will hopefully help you you know, retrieve it for yourself and start to see these yourself. And so, for example, I'll see time synchronicities, which are a fairly common one, like especially like 11-11, 12-12, 3 things like that when you see them, see them on a clock. And you see them when you ordinarily wouldn't be looking at the clock or maybe your cell phone where the time is, and you just sort of glance up for no reason and you see the time. Now, again, this could be viewed as a coincidence, but what happens is as you do this more and more and more and you start seeing it, you, and especially when it's associated with certain activities that you have a resonance with, you'll start paying greater attention and, and you'll have that feeling associated with it. And what will happen is it will, and especially too, is if you act on the synchronicity I found and it results in some favorable outcome, whether that favor, I don't mean necessarily favorable in that it, it, it feels good, but it's something when you look back on it and you say, hey, that was a really good thing. Even if it was a, even if it was something challenging initially that you didn't see the, the, the fruit of that initially, what will happen is it's, you'll notice, well, this is, 
this is the thing, this is the, the thing to do. I'm glad I did this. And it was because I looked at these synchronicities. Well, when that starts happening over and over and over again, you'll start looking for these things over time and, say, and being very conscious of them. And then they'll start showing up more. And so it's that idea of the, well, I'll just say the, the sentient universe for now. It, when you're paying attention, it will start sending you more when you're ready for more. And so you could start living your life like this very quickly. So, so time synchronicities are one. Um, the other thing I found is like temperature, for, exi- for example. I'll find double-digit temperatures. So like when I look at my phone... Um, I'll have, um, for example, like when I woke up yesterday morning, I looked at my phone and it was 30, 33 degrees, um, 33 degrees Fahrenheit. And I, I was like, okay, so in 33 it has a very mystical connotation if you're, um, you're not aware of that. It shows up all over the place in the spiritual community. Now, it's not necessarily the fact that I just saw the 33, but it was an unusual temperature drop that I hadn't, I hadn't seen and or why I wasn't expecting for that morning. But then also I had a thought and a dream associated just before that I'd considered acting on. But not only that, but within moments when my, when my train of thought changed, the temperature went up again, like a few degrees, just like that. And it was, you know, at a time that that normally wouldn't um, happen. And, you know, this morning it was the same, the same way, um, 55 degrees and I notice it and it's not again I something I necessarily look for it's just I have a specific thought boom it pops up and there it is but but that's meaningful for me it may or may not be for you and again this is a very very personal thing another thing is shapes like sacred geometry if you see like um, esoteric symbols and things like that and so uh, you know the um, you know things like the the pyramid and all seeing eye or a, or a one from you know, antiquity, that's one example, but certainly not the only one. There's, um, you know, things like the Merkaba, other things, but there's, there are things that permeate society that aren't readily apparent, but then when you start noticing, they'll start jumping out at you and you start seeing that. Others may be just an unrelated friend or family member stumbling upon your path, and they might ask you something un- unusual. And so, um, you know, Carl Jung talked about this too. You know, he'd talk about the second voice of people that they would talk directly from spirit and they wouldn't know exactly what they were saying to you. And I've experienced this many a time where I'd have somebody, um, you know, I, I remember initially when I read The Alchemist and I had received, somebody had recommended that I, I read it and I had a reading list of about 100 books long at that time. And I was like, well, it sounds interesting. And I wasn't reading a lot of fiction at that time. And I said, well, it sounds interesting. I'll put it on my list. Well, then I, I saw it somewhere else. I remember watching um, reruns of, of the show Friends. And I remember seeing an episode where um, the character Phoebe was reading a copy of the book the Alchemist. And I was like, well, that's unusual. You know, it just zoomed in on, you know, it didn't zoom in, but it was like, you could see the cover and everything. And I'm like, huh, that, that's really weird. Well, again, I said, well, maybe I'll elevate it on my list, but I'll get back to it soon. Well, what happened next was my mother called me out of the blue and said, you know, I was at the eye doctor and she said, you know, a book that you might enjoy was The Alchemist. Well, I don't, I didn't know my mother's eye doctor and I, it was a, it seemed like a very weird conversation and she, she isn't into metaphysical things and things of that nature. And it just was a very unusual thing. And I remember asking, well, what made you ask, what made you tell me this? And she said, well, I don't know. I just felt the need to to tell you that. Well, in hindsight, 
that led, reading that book got me interested in alchemy. And then I started studying alchemy deeply and going into this. And it led to a lot of different changes and further synchronicities and so on and so forth. And in hindsight, it was a, it was a very good thing to, to follow. And it was very life-changing. And so you'll find that a lot with synchronicities. It, is, it isn't always apparent in the moment. Well, anyway, when I had that third confirmation... I started, I read it right away. I dropped everything I was doing and I read it and like read it really fast in like a day and then kind of revisited it. And it was, um, again, very unusual. I, I don't usually, I didn't usually do that, things like that at that time. But again, if you look at the synchronicities, the knocking got louder in, in a way. In the, in the beginning, you know, somebody said, maybe you might want to, you know, a really good book is this. And then I saw it again in an unusual context and then the third time somebody actually came to, you know, somebody very close to me came to me and said, you should do this. And it was in such a way that it was unusual and it kind of jarred my attention. And then I took the action. And that's the important thing with synchronicities, too, is you need to close the loop and take the action. And so you see the synchronicity, but there's a certain amount of courage involved in taking the action because it's a lot of times it's something that wouldn't feel comfortable for you. So I saw synchronicities regarding this, this podcast and so this was something outside of my ordinary behavior that made me a bit uncomfortable. But I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And what would a person desiring a certain outcome do? Would they not do it or do it? And so in the end, I ended up doing this. But again, it's a very, a very good thing because now even in a short amount of time, things, things happen. Things are pulling together nicely. Um, the, the first episode was, was recorded very quickly and easily the the tool i'm using anchor is very easy and and um enjoyable to use and then my like my cover, my name and cover art for the podcast came together and so these were all things that were stumbling blocks in the beginning well what would i call it what would i talk about what would i do well these things once i took the action to follow the synchronicities they they came to me and so another aspect of synchronicity is dreams and this is something else that I find are combined a lot. Um, so for me, a lot of times I mentioned the numerical synchronicities are relevant to me a lot of times. And if you look, you know, if you, you see those things, you know, repeating digits, um, things like that. And that. Mileage on an odometer, you'll see something very unusual sometimes show up there. Somebody contacting you at certain times and in an unusual way with an unusual request or information, which is um, interesting. But the dreams are also the vehicle for communication. And a lot of times the synchronicities are coincided with that. And so this morning, for example, I had this, um, this kind of nudge or this, this part of my dream to kind of revisit um, C.S. Lewis, in particular, the Space Trilogy. And so it was something I'd read, I believe it was last year, and I thought, and I think it was around this time too, which is interesting, perhaps it's a cycle repeating itself. And there was something I didn't quite glean out of it in the first reading. But in any case, I had a dream to, um, to look into that. And, and so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I thought, well, I don't know, I have a lot, of, a lot I'm reading, you know, similar to my, my path in the alchemist. And I said, well, perhaps I'll get to it again. But then I saw the numerical synchronicity again, um, the temperature synchronicity, and then also things emerging with my consciousness related to that in terms of insights that I got from the first time reading it and thought, well, perhaps there's something else as I've learned much more this past year that re reviewing it from a different lens and perspective will do this. And so, you know, we'll see how this turns out. This is just sort of a, and a lot of times synchronicities are hunches. You may, in the beginning, you may not um, be as attuned to them and take what I would consider the optimal actions. But, 
you know, no, no good deed is um, left unrewarded. And so what happens is over time you'll get better at it and you'll gain a sense of mastery and proficiency at recognizing your own personal synchronicities and, and then going um, and then taking action on those in a, in a meaningful way. Um, so that about wraps up today's segment on synchronicities. If you have any questions related to synchronicities or any, anything else, um, you know, feel free to contact me. Um, we've set up a page here to, um, to address my podcast on, on my website, jrsedivy.com. So it's jrsedivy.com forward slash podcast. And my intent with that is basically you could submit questions if you're a listener to this podcast. And I'll also post a, um, a list of resources as I talk about things here, basically with links. And so you could find them, you could find those resources easily and go there. And it's also nice. I found to have that collection of resources and that if there's something good that I've, that I've gone into and it's been of use, it's good to share that thing and to allow others to, to go through there. And so, um, And so anyway, um, hopefully you found this of of value, and I will see you next time. Since antiquity, there have been accounts of superhuman beings and people with seemingly superhuman abilities that could shape reality and do the impossible. Are there any truth to these, and what exactly does it mean to be able to do this? These are some of the things we'll address in today's segment. So... The superhuman aspect is is interesting. I found an interesting account by Dr. Joe Dispenza in Gaia, where he talks about, on his show Rewired, he talks about three qualifiers from his perspective that denote a superhuman ability. And so these all relate to being greater than some aspect. The first is being greater than the body. The second is being greater than your environment. And the third is being greater than time. So when you're greater than your body, what this means is you're not influenced by your body. You're the one who influences your own body. And so you may not be pulled down by being tired and being... These, these physical conditions aren't the things that, that master you. You master the physical conditions. And this is done by thought through an act of individual will. And this is this idea of being able to influence your body through... um, So we talked about in the first episode, like the idea of being... You could heal things or you can do things by moving matter around. And part of that is you can consider that in healing in that you you could have procedures or medicines or various things that, that are based in physicality and require physical action that will bring about a result. Now there's another level of doing this and this is through healing by thought, by influencing the the field or the sentient universe and by bringing about healing in that way for yourself and others. And so this is the way of overcoming the body. This is a thing where things in your body cannot affect you, but you're affecting your body through your very own thought alone. And you're aware of this thought, you're aware of this relationship. And so what happens is this goes back to the purification thing we talked about earlier is that when you realize there's this direct relationship, you go through this process of purification, which then purifies the body in that way. And it all starts with the, the, um, the intention of doing so and then the attention you place on that um, over time. So 
that's mastery of the body in some way. And so it's mastery over all elements of your body. And so that would be one aspect of being superhuman. And, you know, there's accounts of this throughout history, but one of, and, you know, through, and these show up in various myths and relig- religious traditions and various things, um, regardless of um, your particular tradition and your, your vantage point, these, they're, they're found all over the place. But one I found very fascinating was, um, in terms of physicality, is this, um, there's a quote in the, the, the Christian tradition, John fourteen twelve. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so one could interpret this as meaning that it's simply by doing good works in the world that you're going to do this, and you can do better, you can do better works than, than the Master Jesus. And there's, there's truth in this. But if you delve a little deeper and look at the esoteric aspect of this, um, this passage, you could see this as this, the Master Jesus serving as an example of things to, to do in the world. And so by, by imitation, you could align yourself with this. And so the first qualifier of this is, is belief. Well, belief, you can do these, these things. And, and what are these things? Well, look at the work of, um, of this master. You know, this is the, the ability to, to heal, the ability to manifest things, the ability to, there's just, you know, there's kind of, you know, um, you know water and a wine, the various um, walk on water. There's, ver- there's various things that have been accounts throughout that, um, throughout that holy book that are through there. And so... What's being said there is the first qualifier seems to be the belief in being able to do so, and then the ability to do greater things. And so, um, from my perspective, it's serving as the example. But hey, you could do this too, and you can do greater things. You're not limited by what I've I've done here. You can, if you aspire to this, you can do this. And you, if you act in a certain way, you can um, you can do this. And I'm going because I'm going to the Father. The Father relates to spirit, or in my perspective, the sentient universe. And so the idea is we come from the formless, the sentient universe, we incarnate, we can do, we can develop ourselves and do things in a certain way and allow that to unfold. And then when our work is done, we go back to the Father. And so from my perspective in that passage, it's, um, I've come here to do these works. You could follow me should you choose to do so. I'm... I'm returning now, and so you you can continue on the work. And this is again, this is consistent across um, various traditions and various um, various myths and stories that are out there that are all all out there. And you could see degrees of this in terms of physical mastery of the the body or, or mastery of the body by mind. In that you could see this with various people you interact with if you have that awareness and you're looking for it and seeing it in other people, just the things that they do and the way that they carry themselves, that sense of being and that there's, there's um, certain things that do not affect them like they do the, um, the other people and just a certain carriage perhaps and way of handling themselves that's different. And again, this goes, there's various degrees here. And so you could have a, a master, an ascended master per se, and you could have somebody just, you know, fresh on an incarnation here. And there's degrees in between there. And you could see that if you start noticing and looking around, you could, you could see these, these various things and how they're happening. But there is a belief component in there because if you don't believe it, it's literally not, you're not, it's like your mind is closed to it and it's not even a a possibility. And so what happens is you, you, um, 
you miss it basically and it's like you're shutting you're shutting your consciousness down to that but when your awareness increases and your consciousness expands that's the manifestation of these um these these superhuman abilities in that way so the second aspect be besides mastery over the body is mastery of your environment and being better than your environment and what this means is if you look at the if you consider the aspect of your environment, and you may have been in some, what you would perceive as good environments and bad environments, and things that were conducive to your growth and things that felt detrimental to your growth. But in truth, it shouldn't matter at all. If you have sufficient mastery, you should be able to, your environment should not matter. You have mastery by your thought. You have mastery of your environment. And so, if you think about if you think about like your environment influencing the way you feel what happens in that way is that your environment may impose upon you you feel a certain way and then you may or may not take a certain action based on that but it's your environment influencing you now that's an outside in type thing and what we talked about in the first episode is that all lasting change comes from the inside out now this ties in nicely with the mastery of the environment because when you tie when you do the mastery of the environment what happens is you your inner you go to your inner self you cultivate that and you grow that and what happens is your inside starts influencing your outer environment and changing that around you it starts changing the way things interact with with you and just just your overall experience in the world and so this is what happens in 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 a sense my understanding is this is what happens with masters who could do things say like walk into a um a room full of crowded bees and you know just or what there's you know there's stories of tibetan masters where they'll they'll have they'll have two see two jackals fighting over a piece of meat in the wild and what happens is they'll he'll put it you know their his hands on each one of the jackals and then they'll they'll calm and just relax. And so what happens is the the master is having influence on the environment. The in, environment isn't influencing them. And there, again, like the first one, there's different degrees of this um, going, going forward. And so it's a matter of continuous refinement and expansion of consciousness. And as your consciousness expands, you'll do this. And you know, it's interesting. I've had some experience with this, and that's it's sort of fascinating. Is that if you've ever done work in terms of like energy healing and things like that, and I, I first came upon that a few years ago, and it was through an apparent synchronicity that 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 showed up within my life, and I thought, well, I, can this really be true? You know, is it, can you really do energy healing? Well, it and in the beginning, you know, and then you're like, well, maybe some people can do it, but. Not everybody can do it. Well, but that's, I found out that wasn't true. And so if you go back to like A Course in Miracles, they talk about how there's no order of magnitude when it comes to miracles. All things are possible, and it's only your, your mind that limits that. And I found that to be true in, in healing, in that after I learned the, um, the technique, which is really just a structure to allow for you to believe and to, to go about doing the work, what started happening was I would heal myself and others within my environment. And, you know, it started out with small things and little things here and there that would show up for me, but then it, it gradually increased um, over time. But again, I would, I would state that that was a limitation of belief on my part and that the gradual things came over time because 
I, that was my level of belief at the time. And what starts happening in an interesting way too is as you cultivate that within yourself, what happens is your environment literally starts changing is that as you increase the healing energies, the you know, animals will start coming near you very calm. And, you know, like say cats may come and they'll just automatically purr, you know, dogs that would, that would um, bark all the time might just come and be calm and like, and just sit at your feet. And then plants in your environment will start becoming healthier and more vibrant. And so that, and so what happens too then is that translates and as that increases, people change with the reaction too. And so normally aggressive people will become more, more um, calm and, and relaxed and, and joyful and just in your very presence. And you may start receiving invitations just to show up somewhere where you don't really have an apparent need to be there. And so what happens is just because you have that influence in your environment. Now it goes the opposite way too. If you cultivate the opposite then that's that's the experience you're going to have, and that's what's going to happen. What's going to start happening? And again, this all ties to the component of belief. And so you you may need to take baby steps with this and influencing your environment. But if you look at the say the universe being a holographic image, there's that's you'll start seeing that over time if you if you have your awareness or your consciousness expand to such a point where you can actually step outside yourself and look at these things and look at yourself within your environment from from an, an outside perspective seemingly and so we we've talked about being greater than your body and being greater than your environment the third one is being greater than time and what this means is it's your ability to to have mastery over time. And so the first step of this is that idea of if there's something you want to do, you set an intention with your consciousness or your awareness and say, I intend to do this. Now, what's the first thing that most people do? The first thing most people do is they say, well, I don't have the time to do that. Well, if you look at that, there's, there's the idea of, there's the idea of time being a real thing and you know you could view clock time as being that, but I would I would say that clock time or hours are simply a means of of, of tracking something in a man-made development. And there's the cyclical time and the the, the planets and astrology behind it, which is the uh, what I would consider the the real because it's more it's that that clockwork aspect of nature that you could align to and and see very real results. Now what happens is you hear these stories of people who've demonstrated mastery. And yogis, Tibetan monks, various, you know, all all over the place again, and various um, examples of of this. And what happens is they talk about them being able to step outside of time and to to do various things. Now, what happens is... When you have that mastery of time, time no longer becomes an issue. And so early on, it may be just, you know, you just realize, well, I always have the time. And so you make time within your schedule. And then over time, what happens is you'll shift from, I would say, clock time or a worldly schedule to cyclical time and aligning yourself to the, um, the planetary cycles. And when you do that, you realize that there's, there's the peaks and valleys of doing things at, at, um, at optimal times. And you can kind of increase your, your flow or decrease it depending on what you're wanting to do at that particular time. And so you, you have a mastery in that sense. But the, uh, the, and so there's never, you'll never say beyond that point, I don't have time for something. Cause you know, it's really, it, and it's really just even beyond time management. It's mainly, it's that idea of knowing you always have complete control. Now, the other aspect is that we talked about the planet, planetary cycles with that. 
there's that aspect of mastery where you're no longer influenced by your astrology. And so this is the idea that even though the influence, the, the planetary influences impinge upon you, you're, you're greater than that. And so you can, you could transcend that as well. And it's when at any given time you have mastery. And so that in, in a sense is the superhuman, the super, what it means to be superhuman, the ability to, to influence your body by thought alone and have demonstration. And so that's mastery of body and being able to change, change at will. And there's some incredible accounts over there. You know, we, we talked about like the walking on water, transmuting of substances, the, um, basically there's, there's other things like levitation and, you know, you read about Tibetan, the Tibetans being able to jump long distances and, and, and things like that. And there's, there's really just a lot of it in invisibility. I mean, if you read the Taoist texts, it's really, and at first it, it's like, this can't be true. But then as you, your belief muscle starts straining, you can understand why it can be, especially as you understand the various techniques and processes of, of getting your body in that state. And when you demonstrate that mastery of body, it's a state of um, realization that you can, you can do this, you can do this as well. And so then the other one was environment, environment being that, Again, you master your environment. Your environment doesn't master you. You influence how you feel. And then time being that you're not subject to time. Time is subject to you. And you could step in and out of this. And you, you may notice this within your life at various times where you see, like when you enter flow states, when you go in and out of flow, that's a very good example in that you'll, it's like time and space become suspended. Now, imagine if you could open that up more and more. And what happens is this, this is possible through that, again, in mastery of your body, mastery of your environment, your belief muscle, but then also just the, um, the expansion of consciousness and knowing you can, you can kind of do, do these things and go through, go through these processes. And it happens more and more over time. And attunement, that was the other thing I'd meant to talk about that, yeah, attunement. And so when you attune with certain energies and forces, that allows an increase in that ability to do these things and, and realize these things and, and do, do greater things. And so with this, this is this idea. And so what I found useful recently is this is a concept I'd literally just maybe a few days ago had come across. And I always find when I learn something intellectually that an experience shows up within my life to reinforce it and kind of drop it in. And there was something, and so for, for example, learning the idea of being greater than something, being greater than your body, being greater than your environment, being, being greater than time. I had a challenge with, um, you know, back pain with my lower back, which hadn't, which isn't an issue. It was just very, very unusual. And it had showed up and I'm like, why is this showing up? Why'd come across this? And it was this idea. And I tried my normal healing methodologies and various things and they didn't, they didn't quite seem to work as well. And I was like, well, what's, what's happening here? This is, this is odd. And usually I found when that's true too, is if an old thing that you've done before doesn't work, then usually it's time for something new to come in and kind of a new um, enhanced modality or just way of being. And so what was interesting in that is that I found when I would um, say if my back would lock up or it would be um, I'd have a challenge, say, in movement or flexibility, as I repeated in my mind, I am greater than my body, through an act of will, I would move and I would be able to do the movement. And it didn't happen easily at first. It was just a little bit, a little bit here and there. But what, and, but then over time it, 
literally got it happened very very quickly and again it's that that mastery of time as well is that you you know okay this is a thing well wait a minute i can't let this stop me i'm going to master it i am greater than my body and you'll have to tell yourself over this over and over because it's a very tricky thing your mind's a tricky thing because what will happen is outside of your mind it will come your mind will say um i can't do this because i i have this pain but then what happens is you'll remember well wait this isn't true is this pain really true well no it's not it's i'm I'm better than my body, so even if I perceive it to be true, I'm better than it, and so I should be able to master this and allow it to go away if I want to. And then it, it gradually starts some subsiding. And the gradual nature, that's a matter of um, latency or of mastery as well, because, again, it's that idea of manifestation we talked about in that some things happen faster than others, and that's a, 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 a matter of your realization, of knowing all things here is here now and that all things are present but your belief isn't quite there yet. And so it takes the time for the things to happen. And time being a teaching mechanism, that's the thing that allows it to, to happen. And so if you think, that's kind of interesting, actually, if you think about it in that way, that there's the mastery of the body, the mastery of the environment, and the mastery of time. And if time's a teaching mechanism, you, you no longer are ruled by the training tool, but you you've mastered the training tool. And so once you've done that, you have no need for it. And so you can move on from time and operate continually outside of space-time or come back into it if you want. And this, these are the, the tales of the, the masters they talk about going in and, in and out and doing various things as they want to. And it's all, it's all based on choice and will. And you can go at, um, come and go at any time. And so these, these are all interesting. Whether you believe them or not, it's not, well, it's important for the belief aspect we talked about, but say you don't believe these things now, it's just consider, well, what, what if this could be true and, and could it be true? And well, what's the harm in kind of experimenting and seeing what happens? And then try it within your own life, you know, little baby steps and see, well, next time you have a physical, a physical um, impediment or limitation or perceived, I should say, because it's, it's really not real, but it's going to feel very real at the time. Try doing that. Try saying, I'm better than my body. And keep repeating it over and over again mentally. Even if, if you need to verbally say it, that's good too and even more powerful. And then see what happens and see if you can gradually pull yourself out of it. And then see the next time. Can you pull yourself out of it faster and faster and faster the, the next time too? Same with your environment. Give that a try too. If your environment's wearing you down, say, I am better than my environment. And see what, that hap- see what happens with that. And again, this... And then finally, with time, I am better than I am better than time, and so I have mastery of time. And so there is no such thing as as lack of time or various things. There's there's just this idea of being able to master these these things at will. An additional note on time: what I'd like to talk about now is when we talked about superhuman and the ability to be better than your body your environment, and your time. I'd like to add to the aspect of time that you can think of time as fate or destiny. And so this is, this is the big divide, I believe, between people who believe that you're, you have a predestined existence and something, um, your life has to go a certain way, and those who believe they have control over their lives and being able to, to influence things. I think it's a, a degree of realization in that on one hand, if you don't have mastery over time, you are subject to fate. So if you think about a formula, there's a, um, 
you just think about like um, two, two variables and an output equals a given output. If the two input variables remain the same, the third output will always be the same. And say that output is a feedback loop that goes back to the first variable, it'll just keep repeating over and over and over again and the cycles will keep repeating. Now, if you predict it out, say, you know, 30, 50, 70 years out, and the same behaviors, say the same thoughts are happening, the same feelings are happening, and so you're influenced by your body and you're influenced by your environment, then you could predict with a reasonable degree of certainty where you'll be or where a person will be by, by looking at that. Now, if you had somebody who had mastery, who's, who's ma some degree of mastery, and they changed a variable, the prediction's less certain. And so I believe, too, this is what's meant by mastery in terms of just mastering your planets and your astrology. And so they say, for example, an individual is ruled by by their astrology or their planets. And so if you have a, um, a strong Mercury influence like I do, you'll, you'll, you may be mastered by that in terms of your communications going haywire and these, these various um, challenges that happened and your communications being more effective when Mercury's direct but having problems when it's retrograde. Now, that could be true, but if you, if you have a degree of mastery over that, it, again, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. You should be able to step outside of that. But you're aware of those influences, and what happens is you may use them to accelerate at given times and, and step in and out and, and do that. So, so this is the, the deal with that. And so time is literally the ability to, to change your, your destiny or your predetermined future. Some people have called it default future. And so it's literally that path that if you kept your same personality, your same way of being today, and minimized any change in your life, then it's that predictability that you'll have at, at the end. Now, your ability to change and to do things, that is your degree of mastery when it comes to time. And so you use your consciousness or your intention to say, I would like to make a change, your belief and ability to do that, and then you follow up with that action. And so both are equally important. The intention with your mind to create the thought that will allow that, feel as if you've, you've done it, and then you go ahead and take the action itself. Now, if you keep doing that over and over and over again, you've changed that. And so again, this is a degree of mastery. If you have an intention that say, I want to do say I want to read this book and say you don't ordinarily read books but all of a sudden you have that thought and then you you drum up your feelings to say I, I'm, I'm going to read this book and imagine what it would feel like to have having completed reading the book you take the action of reading the book until you finished it you may do it day after day and after day now the more you repeat that action then you could now you could now predict, I finished reading the book. But if, say, you go, went with your current behavior of not, say, typically not reading a book, you could predict that output of never reading the book. And so literally this could be done with any action. And a useful thing with this is to ask yourself, well, you know, what would somebody who, say, what would somebody who has successfully read this book have done every time you go to do something? So say you, you go to pick up the book, but you decide, 
you know what, I want to go check this app on my phone or I want to go check various things on the Internet. Well, is this something, is this an action that's a thought and an action that somebody who successfully read a book would have? Well, no. But would a successful action be to actually just overcome that pull towards the familiar and do something new? Well, yes, that would be the action. And so by doing that, you've changed your destiny. And so you've stepped out of fate and destiny and you've become liberated from that path. And, you could, and you've created a new future for yourself. And the more you do that, the stronger that, that future or timeline materializes. This section addresses information I discovered in the series Rewired by Joe Dispenza on the, the Gaia Network. So this, specifically, this is Season 1, Episode 1, called Introduction to Your Brain. So what's interesting is Dr. Dispenza br breaks down the brain into three, three parts. And these three parts are the neocortex and specifically addresses the, the frontal lobe within the, the neocortex, the limbic brain, also called the chemical brain, and then the cerebellum. Now, the frontal lobe or the neocortex basically equates to 40% of the human brain. And this is where you set your intentions and such things as free, free will, your conscious thinking, and your, as well as your conscious exist. Now, the, um, the limbic brain or the chemical brain, it's in the, it's in the back. And basically, it takes those intentions and translates those to um, chemical, chemical reactions within your body. And so in the first brain, the neo neocortex or frontal lobe, the front of your head, and this is approximately where the, the third eye is, what happens is you'll set your intention. And this is, again, the executive function of the brain. Um, he likened it to the, the CEO of a, a company or the leader of a symphony. And basically, it's this idea of pure thought or strategy or, or direction. And I guess if you, would, um, if, you'd go, if you would address this in terms of consciousness that we've already discovered, it would be you setting your intention through the, um, through the frontal, frontal lobe. Now, what happens there is your thought is your intention. Now, once you have that thought, it would go to the second brain, which is the limbic brain or chemical brain, also called the mammalian brain. And again, this translates from the thought to the, um, to the, the, the um, I think it's, this translates from thought to doing. And so first brain, frontal lobe, you, th you think something that thought gets translated into the second brain or chemical brain into a, into a chemical. And then that's the doing part. Now there's an interesting statement in there. It said, learning is to the brain what experience is to the body. And so basically learning or book smarts, or I would say philosophy would be a good philosophy theory, any kind of abstract knowledge that's for your brain or your first brain. And that's essentially just providing instructions to your computer, so to speak. But once you go into the second brain, that's where you require experience. And if you're familiar with initiatic traditions, this is, this is my understanding of why there's such an emphasis on individual experience. That idea that 
you can know something with your mind, but it needs to drop into your body and you have to have it through experience. Now this equates to feelings. So the chemicals relate to feelings. And so when you read something, this is why perhaps you may have experienced when you, you just learn something, you come across some interesting knowledge that really resonates with you. But then all of a sudden something shows up in your life that correlates to that knowledge. Some experience shows up. And so what's happening is that knowledge is dropping in and grounding for you. And so, and once you have the feeling in your body, you're going to remember that. Now, the third brain, the cerebellum, which is in the back by the, by the brainstem, this is where it equates to being, and it's the, the doing over and over and over again. And this relates to um, what I would consider self-mastery. And so what you do is you start off by thinking then you do, and then through the repetition of doing over and over again, you have mastery. Now, what I couldn't help but realize was there's a parallel between, between this and I was recently rereading The Science of Getting Rich Again. I had a dream to, to revisit that recently. And I, I've talked about that in, a number of times in these, these pod, this podcast, but I, I can't help it because it seems to be an interesting thing where I've gone back to this and it, I see a lot of parallels in other places, especially this series rewired. It's really fascinating because um, Wallace Waddles makes a, um, he makes a key point in there about actually not being, you, you have to be bigger than your place in order to grow. And that's the, one of the keys to evolution is that you have to be better than your current place. And, it was interesting before we talked about needing to be better than your body, better than your um, environment, and better than time. And one of the keys is about doing everything as perfectly as you can. Now, this this dovetails nicely into this, where there's this emphasis on the three brains, that you have a thought, you do something for the first time, so you have the feeling of doing it, but then you do it over and over and over again through repetition. And again, once you have that rep, once you've done the repetition and you've done it, what I would consider perfectly or master, you have mastery of it, then you've, you move on to the next phase or, or the next plane. Um, and so again, this is really the, um, the key emphasis here is if the takeaway here is the, um, the neocortex or frontal lobe originator of thought, that thought gets translated to a chemical in the second brain which is the limbic brain or the chemical brain. And then that, th that, um, that chemical gets translated into the, the cerebellum or the third brain. And this goes nicely to, um, it correlates to frontal lobe is thinking, the, um, the chemical brain is doing, and then the cerebellum is being. And that equates to thought, doing, and then when you've done it a sufficient number of times, it becomes a state of being and it becomes um, automatic. And so the first thing is a conscious intention. The first is a, a doing and being aware of that doing. And then the third, you've done it so many times that it becomes an automatic thing. And one of the things that was addressed too with that series were the two, um, the two nervous systems, just your, um, your, the, the regular nervous system, which I believe is like the sympathetic nervous system. And then the, the other one, which is the autonomic nervous system. And so one is the, um, the, the regular physical nervous system that we're all familiar with through our, through our feelings and sensations. But then the other one is based on your automatic responses. And this is, um, or automatic mechanisms, I should say, things such as breathing, temperature, 
um, heart rate, things, things of that nature that are automatically that are in your subconscious that they've been done so many times they've been going over. And so you may realize like when you've heard about yogis and various masters who could go, um, do things like regulate their, um, their breathing and their heart rate and, and change things through a conscious, um, will, they're actually going back in a sense and doing things that, um, apparently earlier in time, which re required conscious thought in order to go. But since they've been done a number of times, it's hardwired in the, the subconscious of humanity. And so this is true for almost anything. If you do this over and over and over again, you'll demonstrate mastery and eventually go through this. Um, an interesting example I, I considered was like a piano player. And so the, the thought you might actually read the music and your mind would understand the, the sheet of music and understand, okay, this is a... Um, uh, a, per a particular um, set of notes I'm going to play. And then the second, the second, and so that would be a first brain activity. The second brain activity would actually be sitting down at the piano and actually playing it once. And then the third one would be playing it over and over and over again. And so the, the first would be the, the thought of the music. The second would be the doing, um, the initial doing or the conscious doing. And then the third would be that you're so good at it that you've, you've done it so many times that it, becomes unconscious. Somebody can ask you to play that song, you sit down and you don't even have to think about it. You could practically be doing something else because it's so embedded within your very being that that's, um, it, it's automatic. Some additional thoughts on your brain that we had just discussed. So there were three parts of the brain as discussed in this context. There was the frontal lobe, the limbic or chemical brain, and the cerebellum. Now again, this translated to Thinking, being, and doing. Now, another important point is this also translates to thinking. The being may translate to feeling. And I'm sorry, the doing may translate to feeling. And then the being is that sense of being. And so you could think of the first brain as, as thought or intention. The second being is when the chemical reaction happens and you feel it in your, in your body. That's the actual feeling. And then the the doing is that that matter, or the being is the mastery. And so you go from thought to a chemical called a feeling, and then that feeling translates into a sense of being. And so thought or intention, feeling, and being. And this is something, I know I've talked a lot about it and I keep reinforcing it, um, mainly because I want it to keep, I want it to stick within myself because it's very, it's very important. This, um, this appears to, appears throughout many traditions and many even magical practices that you may look into in terms of um, conscious intent, intention setting, you know, taking your head and, you know, also the, the idea of putting emotion behind things or your heart. And so they talk about the head and the heart combined and then manifesting. And so this appears to link nicely with that. It's always interesting when you find information that's um, corroborated among various um, various sources that are especially un, unrelated. Um, something else interesting that was worth mentioning here is I couldn't help but think of um, the nine stages of alchemy by Barbara Han Clow. And if you're familiar with her work, um, her, her work's very interesting if you're not familiar. it's um, She's basically a channel for the um, Palladian race. And what happens is within that book, she'll outline nine, a structure of nine dimensions. Now, that's that's interesting in and of itself if you read through that. But there's something as relates to this that I, I drew kind of a, a link with that. 
and one, this thing was basically how to um, how to consciously manifest. And this idea was in her process, as outlined in that book, is you would you would sit down and actually um, you would basically think of something and bring, and there are many steps to it but essentially if you break it down simply there were you basically take a piece of paper write out some statements which are the intentions or you could think of um the the frontal lobe and then what you would do is you would you'd visualize those in your mind and or around your third eye which is again that's that's in you know your mind's eye that's your frontal lobe again and then you would visually see them going backwards to the back of your your mind and then drop drop down the brainstem and go and then do that over and over and over again. Now, going through that process, it I couldn't help but draw the parallel between the three parts of the brain where you would visualize something in your in your third eye or mind's eye and that would be your frontal lobe. You would send it back, which would be back to your limbic brain and create the chemical or the feeling as if the thing has already occurred. And then you send it down, um, down your brainstem, which basically is going to the cerebellum. And so through that process, you're having these three stages of, of um, intention, creating a chemical called feeling, and then doing that again and again, having that, that, state of, um, that state of being, basically. And so I guess the only thing with that is it's not really addressed in terms of the actual doing over and over again. But perhaps in these, these traditions... That's where the ta- the thing's talking about is acting as if not only the idea of um, believing it's already done, but actually seeing everything around you as being um, already done and doing that. And so perhaps it's kind of, you know, there's this thing where as if you watch um, you watch movies and sporting events that your brain doesn't actually know the difference between what's happening in the movie and what's or the sporting event and and your own life and so it's it thinks it's happening to you and so perhaps that's the same thing it's what it's a way you're kind of hacking your mind and kind of um speeding up the um manifestation and intention setting process and so um just some some food for thought another interesting side note is if you look at the emerald tablet of hermes in the alchemical tradition they t- they call him thrice greatest hermes and because he's master of the three worlds now again i couldn't help but think and wonder if perhaps those three worlds corresponded to the three parts of the brain as we're discussing and so he he operated in a whole brain manner which allowed him to perform the miracles of the one thing as stated in the the um the emerald tablet so let's look at that for a moment um so basically Thrice greatest Hermes. He's a master at setting intention. He could create feelings at will and then create that state of, of being at will over and over again. And again, this is where we talked about, um, th- we mentioned Thoth earlier, the Egyptian god. But if you look at Hermes being um, an equivalent, a Greek equivalent of, um, of the Egyptian god Thoth, then we could we could talk kind of the same way in that they're, that they can manifest instantly in that way or have that same ability. And so the latency is faster. And so not only are you a master of that process of being able to do that over and over and over again, you could do it fast, much, much faster than, um, than anyone else. And so you have that experience and mastery, self-mastery associated with that. And the one thing in the Emerald Tablet, I believe that translates to, again, the formless substance or the, the sentient multiverse where you have this intelligent thinking substance that's available, that everything is comprised of. And once you've attained the state of realization, as they talk about in the Taoist text, 
you realize the nature of reality, you could change these things in the various forms of matter and transmute and transmute everything through will, through an act of will, through the use of your mind, through that process of intention, feeling, and being over and over and over again and, and doing that. And as you do that over, you gain in that, that proficiency over time. Within this segment, I'll address two planes of existence. So within the science of getting rich, they talk about the creative plane and the competitive plane. And the idea being is that there are two places that you, you could operate with within there. And you can only operate it in one at any given time. And so if you operate in the competitive plane, you automatically exclude, your, exclude yourself from the co cooperative plane. Likewise, if you're in the cooperative plane, then the rigors of competition don't impact you and you no longer have to play by, by those rules as there's, you're creating something from new and there's no lack or scarcity there. Now, if you're in the cooperative plane, it's stated that the minute you begin, begin acting from a place of competition, you shut yourself off from, from the cooperative plane and you fall back down to the competitive plane. And so the idea being is you can only exist in one of those things at, at any given time. Now, as I make my way through the um, Rewired series with Dr. Joe Dispenza, there's an episode, I believe it's season one, episode four, Survival versus Creativity. And he discusses within that there's this idea that your brain operates in a certain manner and your nervous system when you're acting in a survival state. And then it operates in yet a different state when you're in a creative state. Now, this seemed very analogous to the um, competition versus cooperation planes that Waddles talks about. Now, what's fascinating about this is there is something stated within that episode that he discussed when you, when you operate in that survival mode and you do things in that way that you'll actually be bound by those rules of that plane. And so what happens is you're focusing your attention or your beam of conscious or your beam of consciousness or pure awareness at that plane of existence. And so because your attention is there, that, those are the rules you're subject to. And so, so say you want to manifest an intention, you're actually going, it's going to take time and you're going to have to do things in a conventional way there because those are the rules you're playing by and that's what you're paying attention to. Now, when you go to the, com the cooperative plane or, or act from a state of creativity, as Dr. Dispenza would say, you actually switch gears there. And because you're operating outside of time or being greater than time, you are no longer subject to those rules. And so you're doing things in a different way. And to go back to Waddle's terminology, he, he calls it consistently throughout that book, doing things in a certain way. You're you're not achieving wealth or you're not achieving success or health because you're not doing things in a certain way and that everything else could be equal, education, experience, um, environment, everything. But if you don't do things in a certain way, it won't happen. And so it sounds like what's, what's happening is it's a matter of consciousness or attention. Again, intention and attention. Your intention to say, I want to operate from a space of creativity or cooperation Focusing that consciousness on that intention, consistently giving it attention over time, and then that's what brings things into being. But it's tricky because once you drop out of it, then you fall away. Now, 
what's fascinating is there was another episode of that series. Um, it may have been the, the third one, but they, they talk about the, there's, um, you know, three aspects. It wasn't, um, I guess, three aspects of your consciousness, I would say, or, or mind. And this, this is different than the brain we talked about before. But the idea being the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, and the, um, the analytical mind. And I've heard this stated in the past, if you read magical texts at all, um, any texts on, on magic, um, more, I'd consider more, more of the serious, serious texts, they talk about, there's always this talk of the sensor. There's this idea that you have a conscious mind and you have an unconscious and you do these various techniques to blank your mind and actually allow information to get through the sensor. But they never really talk about in there like what the sensor was. And so they would have these various things where you'd stare at sigils or um, some places do it. You know, this is also um, a, a key with meditation is that you get your, your mind to a point where you're your mind's so focused that all of a sudden your analytical mind drop, drops out or the, or the ego and information could go um, straight through. And then other, you know, other things such as, um, you know, consider like more like black magic would use things such as, um, you know, sexual ritual and, um, and orgasm to kind of blank your mind. And so what happens is for a brief moment, your analytical mind is shutting down information's going straight to your subconscious at that, at that very moment. And so what happens is the, this reminded me of, of being able to, um, to access that perhaps is that the, what I've been experiencing is that I see these various things where I can only operate from one state at a time, given that. So if you read these various texts, there's, um, so if you consider like philosophy as being a, um, uh, kind of like a program or an operating system if you're talking about a computer. And so whatever philosophy you're running or you're you're doing, that's literally what you're going to look at the world like. And so if you read a lot of different philosophy, you'll see there's very different ways of looking at the world. And if you talk to different people and they're very entrenched in a philosophy, you can kind of understand where they're coming from and what they're what they're doing and, and their vantage point. And they're they're going to have certain biases. And so you know, some of the various philosophies out there, there's, um, you know, obviously there's, there's some that I'm familiar with. There's obviously the Ageless Wisdom tradition. There's the Course in Miracles we've talked about. Ayn Rand I've studied um, earlier in my, my life. Um, there's, let's see, many, you know, many, many others um, that you can go through that I've, I've, I've touched upon brief, briefly. But these philosophies has, have very opposite um, things where they talk about it as being truth and it is truth from that vantage point. And so if you live, if you live from that philosophy, you are going to see the world and experience the world in that. And I've done some testing recently and some experimentation and I really noticed the world around me changing as I read different philosophy. Whereas all this, so if I read Ayn Rand, certain things will start showing up in my life, like, um, more of kind of a business type aspect will show up or more commercial things will show up. But then it'll be darker and people will appear more, um, I don't know if mean would be the right word, but maybe um, maybe more from a, a, neg um, a negative slant or more of a um, serious serious slant in, in that way. Very consistent with her writings, if you've read any, any of them. Um, specifically, Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead. Those are very good examples, very, very good books if you haven't read them. But, the, so, but then if I read other, other things such as the um, any of any of the books like in the Ageless Wisdom or say the the Rosicrucian philosophies, um, those books, 
they basically, things look a lot different and the experiences are very different. And so then the, the weather may appear light and bright and everything might appear just, you know, there'll be a different orientation and different opportunities will show up like different, um, different things. And these will be more what I would consider, um, you know, more of um, where, whereas Ayn Rand is more of an individualist type thing, the world's going to look very individual and you're, it's kind of like you're on your own in, in a competitive type aspect or just doing work on your own in a creative aspect. The other philosophies when you work with those are going to seem more, other, more what I consider more collectivist type aspects will show up and more others orientation and that sort of thing, um, you know, doing good in the community and, and that sort of thing. And that, those are kind of the things that will show up. But it's kind of fascinating. I've kind of cycled between them, you know, day after day, just seeing what happened, it would change. And even you could do this if you like, if you're tired of something where you do something for a while and you're like, oh, I want to experience this other thing. You, you could test this out. And I, I haven't worked with others who've done this, so I'm not sure if it's, if it's something that's consistent or if you reach a certain point of experience or consciousness or if it only happens at a certain time. I'm not sure, but this is something that's, that's been happening. But what I noticed is I can only do one at a time. And so if you do one in the same day and switch it up, what happens is you'll go, it's like you shut the other off. And so you can't, and so I like aspects of each of them. And so there's, there's aspects of Ayn Rand that resonate with me because earlier in my life as an entrepreneur, and even now in a sense, I consider myself more of a spiritual entrepreneur, probably more of a philosopher at this point. But the idea is that I like that idea of creating from a sense of individuality and just being, being alone and doing that and having that benefit. But what what happens is, though, but I don't really like, you know, the, the part that doesn't resonate as much is more the adversarial aspect, although I've I've been on the receiving end of that and, have, and understand that and can resonate to some extent. But for, for the most part, you know, that's I like more the creative and kind of the alone time aspect of that. But then there's other things such as the um, the other spiritual traditions I'd mentioned where I really like the cosmic approach in that and the idea of cosmic evolution and benefit of humanity and so on and so forth. But then the parts that don't really resonate to my personality are the idea of, um, of working, you know, working with others all the time and being more of an others orientation and, and doing, and doing that. Um, I, I, sometimes yes, but not for the most part, it's not really my, my personality. And so you know, it's it's almost like I've tried to say, well, if I could take a piece of this and a piece of the other and do it, but what seems to happen is they there's a toggling that happens within your mind and you go to one. And I notice if you go from one to the other, it's almost like you hit a pause button. And then if you go back to the other one, things will start, it'll almost be like you just left off. And if you read like the Seth material, which is really interesting, it's a... Um, there's a, a story of a, a, a woman, Her I believe her name was Jane Roberts, and she would translate... Um, she would channel a, um, I believe it was a gray extraterrestrial being, and she would channel that information. It was an extra, extra dimensional, I should say, um, extraterrestrial, extra dimensional, and that it would channel through her um, from the future, and her husband would dictate, basically. And what was really interesting about that is she is, um, is basically, my, I meandered a bit here. Let me kind of collect my, my, thought, my thoughts here. Um, Let's see. So, oh yeah. So returning, returning back to that, she would. Um, so what would happen is, they would do channeling. They would date in the entries in the Seth material, like every every day. You'd see they do sessions every day, and they would continue. And 
And if you haven't read any of those books that are a channeled type nature like that, it's amazing because um, the Alice Bailey books are like that too. If you read the Ageless Wisdom, you could tell which books were written by the personality or the person doing it, and then which were written by the channel. And so in the case of Alice Bailey, she channeled a, a being called the Tibetan. And then um, Jane Roberts was a um, extraterrestrial grain that they called Seth. And what would happen is literally the writing would be so different and the, the material would be so dense and kind of out there that you would just say, well, I, I'm, I guess it could, but it just didn't even seem like the same person at, at all. And you'd see it kind of cycling. But what was fascinating about the Seth material is sometimes they would do sessions all the time every day, but then something would happen in their life to distract them from the sessions and they would stop for months. And then she would start dictating the, the book again, which I guess the whole book was dictated now that I think about it. It was dictated through this being. And you could see the points where she picked back up months later. It would be almost like she just started doing it the next day. It was like somebody started playing, started pressing play again on a tape recorder. And that's been my experience with these philosophies. When you go back and forth, it's almost like you're leaving the path. And you can go away for a while, but if you come back to it, you'll start right. It's like nothing's lost. The only thing that was lost was time. And if you believe in A Course in Miracles, where you talk about time as a teaching mechanism, that's not really lost. That's what it's there for. And so you're basically just, you're postponing in a way to go explore and then come back. And you do that. And so what's really interesting about this is it made me wonder as I, I thought about the three parts of the mind, where there was the, um, the conscious mind, the subconscious, and the sensor where they talk about, which I finally understand to be the analytical mind or the ego, the thing that needs to get past if you want to access the subconscious. And again, these other things I talked about earlier are tricks to get past the subconscious, especially meditation and actually just sort of calming your mind and letting and concentrating and allowing that to go and then things to go directly in. And this is why we can listen to things in your sleep and things. And so it's your analytical mind isn't, isn't catching things. But it made me wonder if the philosophy, if there's really the two, if the two things of philosophy, because there definitely seems to be, when you look at philosophy, there seems to be two major camps that I've I've seen to discover. And I'm not sure if it's just the fact that these are the only things that I, that are coming into my realm of experience right now, or if this is just, if literally everything is broken into two. But there seems to be like this, the positive polarity aspect and the negative polarity aspect. But there seems to be with that, there's a, a, um, a individual aspect. So individual philosophies, which I'd consider like more like the Ayn Rand type stuff. And then the collectivist philosophies, which would be more the, um, what I consider the, the Ayn Rand, or not, I mean, the, the um, things like Ageless Wisdom, Rosicrucians, um, other, I'm trying to think of others out there, but there are things that deal with more of like the good of humanity, common good, um, brotherhood of man, whereas the other one is every man for himself um, deal more of a, and again, with Ayn Rand, it's not really, well, I guess it is competition because she deals with capitalism, but that's the other thing too. There seems to be a correspondence with economic systems. As if you look at Iran, it's very capitalist oriented. And then the, um, the, the, the other one seems to be more, I don't know if it's fair to say, you know, communist or, or socialist, because I'm not that familiar with those method, those, um, those systems, but there seems to be this, this idea. But I wonder if those core, so if you had those corresponding, if that actually corresponds to the actual, um, mind as well. And so you might think of like, um, on one hand, we'll say the conscious mind or the frontal lobe corresponds to the the um, the aspect. Of, it could be correspond to the ego, which is um, 
which basically can correspond to, say, like a capitalist philosophy, so laissez-faire capitalism, where you would just say, okay, every man for himself, everything, you know, um, I don't say everything goes, because that's not really what she says in um, the Ayn Rand philosophy. It's more of a, a system that allows for free free competition and free markets with limited limited government intervention. And then you would have the, but then on the other side, you would have the, say, the um, the subconscious, and that's more of a, of a um, collectivist thing. And so if you look at the conscious mind, that's of an individual nature or separated self, I guess you could say, as they use in, in some of the philosophy, te philosophy texts. But the, um, the subconscious, perhaps that goes to the, um, to, to the, other, the other side of being. Um, so that's the, um, what would I say? So the subconscious corresponds perhaps to, to even those collectivist methodologies and, um, you know, common good of humanity and that sort of thing, more of a communism, socialism type thing, and only one could exist. And perhaps that's why, if you look back in history, there's this war between those two philosophies. Is maybe, too, that corresponds to the polarities. If you look at the, the nature of a system existing in the, the matrix, so to speak, is a interaction of two poles, positive and negative, and the two bounce off each other, and you can only exist in one in one at any given time, the um, the analytical mind is the gate between the two, or the sensor, and so th so they don't bleed into one another, and you can go in, in one in one or the other. And so the thing I don't know, and so if you'd ask each practitioner of that philosophy if that's what they've chosen in life, and they've chosen a side, then you would ask them, and they would say, well, their philosophy is the most evolved, and that's what it is. And so if you look at like an, an Ayn Rand objectives philosophy, she would say within her writings, well, I don't believe in any of that stuff. No mysticism, no metaphysical things, nothing's true. It's only what, what you could touch and feel, that is what exists. And that is the manipulation of matter is the end of itself. But say you walk through the analytical mind or the gate and you, and you um, go there and they're going to say, well, we're, we're evolved because we're concerned with unity. And once you overcome separation, you unify and work together and, and, do, and do that nature. And you can create better forms of organisms in more of, a, more of an evolved way. And, and that's it. And so is one really more evolved than the other? Or is it really just a matter of preference and a game, so to speak? Um, that's something I'm not, I can't say I'm not quite sure about because it all depends, like most things, on, on who you ask in that you know, there, there's valid points to some side, because if you look at the objectivist stuff, there's a lot of good information there, especially if you're, if you come at it, um, if you've ever been an entrepreneur or a business owner, it's really, it's really interesting in that way. And there's a lot of resonance there, but you, there's some statements in there, like non-physical, not existing and things of that nature, that if you, if you study the other philosophies, you can actually have some very real experiences that are non-physical that will create there. Now, but are those really non-physical experiences or are they simply chemical reactions in the body and, and energies that impact upon you? But even so, I would still say those are non-physical non in nature because they are an experience that are outside of something I could touch or hold and something that I can't, something I can't show to you in physical form. I could tell you that it's happened, but on the other hand, I can't show you, perhaps I could tell it to you because you may understand if you've had a similar experience. And this also goes back to magic. If you've done any sort of um, ritual magic where you do things like casting a magic circle and, and um, the invocation of, of um, certain, as certain elements or aspects, spirits, and what will happen is there's a, you know, some people will say, well, it's not really, the, the thing that's showing up isn't really a, it's not an act, it's not real. It's actually a pro projection from your, 
say from your um your your pineal gland to your pituitary and then it kind of shows out as a projection into the world and you believe you're seeing it and so it's real but then on the but then on the other hand others will say no it's a real a real physical thing and so well what does what does that mean actually you know is it is it real is it well you had the experience and then by the way if you have that experience, you know, there's an interesting show, um, another show on program on Gaia, and I can't remember. I, it was done by William Henry. He interprets art and uh, what I consider like esoteric, esoteric art and really fascinating series on there. I think it's called Ascension Keepers, if, if I remember that correctly. But he would basically go through these these periods and he traced um, the the idea of the um, the basically the Essenes, the Cathars, Templars and Gnostics and and then basically the the modern day preservation of those traditions through through artwork that evokes certain certain tendencies within you when you um, study it. And one of the things that was really interesting um, about his series, he discussed Saint Francis of Assisi, and he had talked about that how he Saint Francis emulated um, the Christ or Jesus so perfectly that he actually received stigmata. And what happened was a seraphim being, um, and I, I believe those are like equivalent of like angelic serpent beings, came and bestowed the stigmata on him through like a burst of, a burst of energy. And there's a painting of it you can, look, you can look at. And I can't recall the name of the painting. Or I, don't, I don't know if I know it, but I, could, I recognize it if I see it. But there's a, basically a seraphim hitting St. Francis with light and his, his body's out and he's receiving the stigmata. Now, a point that was made in that show, which was really fascinating, is said, well, did, was there an actual being that showed up and did this? Well, it doesn't matter if it did or not, because if it happened in his mind, it happened. Because as we talked about before, when you receive intellectual knowledge in your first brain, it will be translated to a chemical into your second brain, which will allow you to feel it. And when you feel it, that's what drops it in the physicality or your physical experience. And so with that, again, if you go back to the other note about thrice greatest Hermes, you have ruling the three worlds, the mental or the thinking, the feeling or the emotional, and then the physical world or the three, the three brains with that. And so in essence, it, it may not matter in that way because I've experienced this myself where I've done changes in certain, even in studying certain philosophies and doing certain spiritual practices where I'll experience rapid physical changes that should not be possible where it literally your whole being changes very quickly like over, overnight and and at first you may be a bit concerned but then you realize you can go back or do different things depending on where what you study and what you read and what you the practices you do and so that was an interesting point in that series you know is it did it happen or did it not for real like if somebody else was standing there did they witness it and say and i don't know enough about that particular event to say if, if they had eyewitnesses or not but would they see anything or would they not? And then would it mean that it's not real? And, or did something show up anyway? Did it go through the subconscious, through the gate of the analytical mind, and then affect physicality? Or was it simply that he had emulated so much in his mind and did that process of repetition, setting intention of being, you know, using the, the Christ as an imitation, um, feeling or the, the doing of something, and so knowing it in the body and actually taking the action to emulate and then doing it over and over and over again. And then after a certain amount of time, it literally just happened and you take on the abilities. And, and perhaps this is the thing where you talk about mystic masters is that they receive these 
perhaps ascended abilities because they do the actions over and over and over again. And then these, these things just sort of show up within their overall being and, and you would do that. And so it's like this idea of, um, you know, like the idea of like the, I guess like the four minute mile or something, everybody said it was impossible to do. And then once the first person broke it, then other people started doing it. And then what the uncommon becomes common. And I believe it's the same with these, these um, abilities is that there may only be historical, historically like a very small number of people who have done it, but then they do it more and more. And then, you know, as other people see it and believe it's possible, then then they st then others start doing a small, an even greater number and then a greater and then eventually it becomes the new normal and then something and then there's a few leading people leading evolution um doing that on there and so anyway these are all some interesting questions and it's some things i'm still exploring because I don't, I don't really i can't really say for certain especially the polarity aspect and the idea between the opposing philosophies and doing you know one one thing at a time you know it seems to be there seems to be a, a thing and i wonder if the philosophies are on the other, you know, on each side of the gate, or what I would call, what I would say would be the analytical mind or the sensor, and that one is a conscious mind thing or an egoic mind, and then the other one would be called the the unconscious, or some people might call that the the soul or or whatever you'd want to call it, you know, and, and people it might be a confusing term because people different traditions say the soul is different things in different places. And so perhaps it's just part of a, a game, so to speak, and it's may it just kind of plays out. And you know, these are kind of for our own evolution and our own experience. And so, so I don't know. It'll it's um, interesting. So if, if any of you have any insights, you know, if you, you know, feel free to to comment or you know drop me a message either on my website or I, I believe this this anchor app. Um, it's A N C H O R, just like a, a boat anchor. It, it has a voicemail functionality that I haven't tried yet. I'm still too new to it, but I guess people can, if they have listeners on this app, you can actually submit a voice message and things. And so if you have experience in this, I'd be interested in knowing. And, or if you have any questions, obviously I would, I would clarify, or you can also submit a question or a comment on my website at um, jrsediv.com slash podcast. And, you know, I would, I'd be happy to address that in a future segment. Um, if anything, it's nice it's good to receive other um, experiences as I don't, um, I don't come into contact with very many people who, um, who walk this path in this way. It's, it's more of a, I would consider more non-traditional, more, more individualistic in that way and kind of living based on synchronicity and doing that rather than um, what I would consider a, a, a traditional focused path in, in that way. And so it's, um, you know, very, very interesting, but it'd be interesting. There are others who've had this, especially if you've had that experience with philosophy and that kind of cycling um, back and forth and doing these various things and experiencing different things where it's literally like a door opening and closing and that when you walk in one, the other shuts off. And then when you walk in the other, the other, the other will shut off. And it's almost like a light turning on and off in the various, in the various rooms or, or compartment of, of your mind. And so... Um, very, very fascinating stuff, and um, you know, we'll we'll keep having fun with it.